Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. On today's show, we're going to explore YouTube premieres, changes to YouTube analytics, hashtag in the search results, topic filters, and forced video monetization with Diana Gladney. If you want to understand how to benefit from these YouTube changes, you're definitely going to want to stick around. I'm Michael Stelzner, and this is the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. If you want to go a lot deeper, check out the Social Media Marketing Workshops, where you'll get in-depth training online covering organic and paid marketing on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can check it out at socialmediaexaminer.com slash WS21. And now for this week's expert guest. Diana Gladney is a YouTube expert and consultant. She's also the founder of Entree Woman TV, an awesome YouTube channel designed to help entrepreneurs simplify the video creative process. And she's host of the Video Simplified Podcast. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm super pumped to be here. I'm super pumped to have you here. So we're going to start by talking about YouTube premieres. Now, a lot of people might have heard of what a premiere is, but have never done a premiere. There's been some changes to premieres, but let's start with defining what is a YouTube premiere and then maybe talk about what they're doing to improve them. Yeah, for sure. YouTube premieres is actually a very interesting feature. It kind of puts you in the mindset of going back to the movies, except the premiere or feature film is you and your content. And so you can schedule these out in advance, but just at a very base level of what a premiere is, you create some content. It's, it is pre-recorded content, so it's not like a live stream. And you upload that like you normally would, titles, descriptions, the whole nine. The only difference is when you schedule this one, you're scheduling it to premiere and you get a little bit of of both worlds when it comes to recorded videos and live streaming because you get the live chat. So that allows you to have interactions when it comes to the people that are actually there watching in real time. They can ask questions in real time and you can answer them. And if you have a guest or somebody that you're featuring in the premiere, then they can be in the chat as well. And it's just a nice experience to just kind of talk about what the video is about, something that's going on or something interesting that you're releasing to your community. So just so I'm crystal clear, can any video be scheduled as a premiere? Because it sounds like what you're saying is it's like a live video, but it's a playback, right? It's like what you would have yeah. on television. It's been pre-recorded, but you're going live and you have the benefits of live. Does that mean any one of our videos could be a premiere? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, for sure. You absolutely can. There's no real time limits for real. But at the same time, you do want to adhere to at least a few minutes. I say at least 10 minutes of a cushion because if the video is too short, okay, well, it, you can have like some DVR type settings where you can kind of rewind, if you will, or go back. But that kind of takes away from the experience. So you at least want something that's a, a longer form piece of content, something that's maybe 10 or 15 minutes, because right when you even get to like the eight to 10 minute mark, that still feels very short when you have a very active chat. 
How are people notified of the premiere? Is it actually something that like a live video that is they get notified in advance and they know it's coming and then they come or do they just get notified the moment it goes live? So a lot of notifications go out with YouTube. They have where if you have hit the bell, there's a couple different stages, if you will, or, or phases when it comes to the bell. You can hit to be notified of everything or be notified of some things. Either way, if you usually hit the bell, then YouTube will send a push notification to your phone or your device, whatever it is that you're using, mostly phones, so that you know this is now being scheduled out. They'll also know if you want, you can schedule it to say, hey, about an hour or two before, hit another notification out so people know that as well. And then when it goes live, it's kind of the same thing like, hey, this is premiering. And you can also still kind of like set a reminder to come back and, and let you know. They stopped sending emails really, uh, really recently. But if you have an email list, it's good to schedule those as well. So let's talk about what exactly about premieres has been changed recently with the YouTube updates. Sure. So YouTube actually makes some really, really interesting changes when it comes to premieres. They introduced some other features. Again, it kind of puts you in like a netflix e kind of a, a thought process or, or mind frame so that when you're scheduling this out, you can put a video in front of it, almost like a promo video, if you will. And I think that's way better than just the thumbnail because the thumbnail is already something that either piques curiosity or it's something that's deeply desired or interesting to that person. So that kind of makes them want to click, but they still don't quite know. The fact that you can add just a quick video up there, whether it's like 30 seconds, 40 seconds or 60 seconds, you can really put some focused effort into, you know, setting something ahead of that. So people have a, a kind of like the little piece of chicken that they would give you at the mall before you get the full plate of food. Is it almost like a little trailer is what mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say? Yep. How long of a trailer can you put like a 30 second trailer or is there any length? You know? I'm not sure that on the time length just yet, but I still think regardless, even if they said you could do five minutes, I wouldn't exceed and go that far. Right. I would honestly say go for about 45 seconds to 60 seconds, 90 seconds even is pushing it because you want it to be just like a regular trailer, right. TV trailer, movie trailer, get their interest, get them salivating and make them wait. So this trailer shows up the moment the video goes live, which might encourage people to if they watch the trailer, is there some sort of a button to get notified when it does go live? Do you know if that's already built into premieres or is it just, is there any action that they can take? So it's kind of weird because they, when they announced this uh, and it's supposed to be at the time coming out in December of 2020, which obviously is behind us now. But the thing is, is that, yeah, you can, but they release things out in beta. So the frustrating thing with these new premiere changes, some people may see them and some people may not. But usually if YouTube is encouraging an action, they give you the ability to schedule a reminder or something like that to get you to come back because it's YouTube. They care about audience retention. Is there anything else about premieres that we didn't mention that's new that just dropped or is that the main thing? Uh, I think that's pretty much the main thing. There are some advantages. So if you have more than a thousand subscribers, then YouTube has uh, an article that they put out on premieres about certain tiers that you can get about sending people from a premiere to another live stream or to other forms of content. But you have to hit that 1000 subscriber threshold in order to have access to that. So if you're just getting started with your channel, you can obviously still use premieres in a very powerful way. But at the same time, if you have a thousand subscribers, I think it's worth taking a look at the article as they update it, even as recently as five days ago, which would have been like January 15th or somewhere thereabout, so that you can get the latest, latest updates according to uh, YouTube. In your opinion, do you think that 
doing premieres is a smart way to maybe get more eyeballs on our videos if it is the right kind of video? And is there any downside at all to taking maybe a video that we've done a lot of work on and figuring out a way to maybe make a premiere out of it? Yeah, it's I'm so glad you asked that because it is definitely a danger zone when it comes to premieres. Do not premiere every video. Every video, honestly, is not premiere worthy. And honestly, just because we put a lot of work into a video does not still make that premiere worthy because they're in the viewer's mind, the person that's on the keyboard that searched for the content that's already subscribed to you or what have you, they can get frustrated with the fact that you have so many things that are premiering, whereas they could have watched, could have engaged and could have left a comment or something like that or shared it or whatever the case is. And they can't and they have to wait and come back. So if it's just a normal, you know, something that is just regular to your content schedule or, you know, content calendar, go ahead and release it. But something that is like a, a big interview you've been waiting on or it's a very dedicated piece that's really going to help them explode their business, then that's something that's premiere worthy. So don't premiere everything, but really think about is this interesting enough for us to share in this moment together or is this something that you could just watch on your own time? Awesome. Let's talk about analytics. Uh, I know that YouTube has enhanced their analytics for the first 24 hours, and I'm really excited about this. Um, can you talk about what the analytics used to be like in the first day and then how these enhancements benefit those of us that are kind of analytics geeks? Yes. So I love the updates that YouTube is giving when it comes to the analytics, because the first 24 hours is crucial. You know, now knowing if people are clicking, if people are watching, you know, and being able to see that dashboard when you first log in, that's critical. What it used to be is you just would upload a video and it will kind of take some time for it to curate that data and figure it out, especially if you're coming from like the YouTube classic days where it wasn't as smart of an engine. Not that the data wasn't there. But you had to translate that data, if you will, whereas now it's very user friendly. It's very easy to see. Are you trending towards something, a video that potentially is breaking out of where your usual videos are? So it's showing you graphical data, but it's also giving you plain English explanations along with that. Like, hey, this video is starting to do better. More people are watching this. More people are commenting this versus back in the day before you just kind of had to know your own analytics and kind of move with that. I think I know what this is. Is this on main, the main, when you go into YouTube studio, it'll show you like your most recent video or is it when you actually go into the video and it shows you like a list of all the sources of traffic and then it shows you whether it's up or down. Is that what we're talking about or is there something different here? So it's actually in both places. So both is right. So you'll get like a snapshot, if you will, on your YouTube dashboard. So if you just log into your YouTube studio, what you'll see is like comparative to your last 10 videos, how is your latest video doing? in views and, you know, as far as the comparative to the other ones, like within an hour, how are people digesting this content? Are they kind of, is it kind of falling flat or not where some of the other videos have done? And it kind of gives you a ranking. So the dashboard is good just to give you a little bit of a snapshot, even has little fireworks that'll pop up to say, hey, this video is doing better than the last nine videos that you published. But when you go into the content tab, because that's also been recently updated, whereas it used to just say videos, it's now saying content. So you click on that content tab that'll take you into your videos and you can specifically go into the analytics for that latest video and it will expand that out so much better so you can see impressions and how those lead to views or click and then those lead to actual views on the video and just really go in a granular level, break that down. What I love about this is uh, we published a video this week on Clubhouse and you all can find it at socialmediaexaminer.com slash ch, whatever platform you're on or even if you're listening to the podcast. 
And it was telling me right out of the gate, you know, in the first X minutes, this is outperforming in the first hour, in the first day. I don't know. Is that comparing it against all the videos or the last 30 days or the last 90 days? Do you have any sense of what it's comparing it against? So it's really comparing like on the snapshot on the dashboard, which is like when you first click into your YouTube studio, it's just comparing it against your last 10 videos. Uh, Ideally, the default is going to go for the last 28 days. But let's say you had some inconsistencies or let's say you were doing a special project. And so your content was a little bit different than how it usually was. I like to sometimes change that to the last 90 days. So I have a bigger, you know, picture as to what I'm looking at. But the last 28 days typically is the default. And then you can expand that out even more from across a dashboard standpoint in your analytics. But I love it because you can instantly know, should you probably that if you do A-B testing, comparing one thumbnail to another, should you probably roll with that second thumbnail? Because this one is not like people may be seeing it. So you're getting impressions, but they're not clicking. And so that may say, you know what, let's roll with option B. Or if you're using a service like maybe a TubeBuddy or something, you can schedule that to get going for you and kind of test that out. What should we be looking for when we look at our analytics on our YouTube videos for the first 24 hours? Is there something that you look for that maybe everybody might want to keep their eyes open for? Yes, I'm always one. The first thing I, I look for personally is comments because comments dictate if somebody got through all of the other stuff, not just if they watched it or clicked on it and all the different things, but they got to the point they were moved enough to leave a, a comment. That's that hierarchy of engagement that I, I teach a lot, meaning they went from to seeing it and being an impression, clicking on it, watching it, maybe liking it maybe even sharing it, but they got to the point that they wanted to leave a comment. When I see videos are getting lots of comments initially, one, that's engagement. It's further triggering the algorithm. Two, more than likely audience retention is doing doing well for that video because they were moved to enough point to actually want to leave something in the comments. But if I'm not getting that, then now I'm starting to go back to step one kind of a deal and comparing that to, and the views are important because again, we got to start from the beginning of that funnel you saw the thumbnail, you saw the title, maybe a little first line of or first several characters of a description. How is this comparing? Because if the views are kind of off, that may dictate, let's go back even a little bit further and let's analyze the thumbnail. And so I may change a thumbnail within the first 20 minutes, within the first 40 really? minutes or an hour. Wow. If it, yeah, you got to have one ready to go and swap just like you kind of want to put your best foot forward. But you also want to have another best foot for it <laughs> to follow up. You're looking at click-through rates then is really, right? Because like, yeah. like if you're already ranking in search and the click-through rate is really low, then you can just change out that thumbnail right on the fly, huh? Because yes. I've always thought you need to let the algorithm do its thing for a few days before you start messing with thumbnails. But you're not necessarily saying that's the way forward anymore. No, I think you need to have a handle on your content. And then also the more content that you upload, the more you'll really understand how your community digests your content or similar people. So it's not just like even search, it's really related content like that suggested panel or other people that watch this. That's another beta testing that most people should be seeing about now if you're uploading regular content. If they watch this channel, or your channel specifically, then they are watching these other channels and it'll show you the actual channels and it'll show you the actual videos. So again, you can compare your thumbnail to how dynamic or relative it is to somebody else's thumbnail. And you may want to change that if it's not getting their attention because if they watch somebody else's, they all that already lets you know they're interested in the content and the topic and potentially the title. So you may have done your work there, but is the visual aspect of the curiosity or the interest point there when it comes to the thumbnail. That's super important. 
Yes. And I put JJ's comment up here. Did she say that we should swap out the thumbnail if it isn't getting traction off the bat? Interesting. Wow. So yes, that's exactly what she said. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, that's the thing. Think about, I love this. And I, th I think um, Daniel Batal does a great job with this on his YouTube channel and just educating creators around this is what really think about is what is the interest, not just the title and let's show the thing of whatever the title is or put a bunch of text on the screen. What is the person that's searching for this? What are they really looking forward to see? What's the really interesting thing? Or what's the, the little golden nugget that that video is supposed to reveal or share with them? And let's kind of play with that. So if you are showing a new unreleased camera, maybe not show the whole thing or maybe show your expression of you being excited and holding it but it's kind of blurred or something like that. So you want to allude to the interest level and curiosity level that they have. If the first thumbnail isn't doing it, even just for regular content, consider switching it out to something different. Well, I think you're dropping a lot of golden nuggets. And if you all like what you're hearing, would you hit the thumbs up where, on whatever platform you're on? Because we absolutely want to get more people to see this stuff. Okay, let's talk about hashtags. Mm. There's been... At first, it was like, eh, hashtags on YouTube. But now it seems like there's something more happening with hashtags on YouTube. Talk to us a little bit. Oh, yeah. So this is something universally across. And if you're a social media marketer and if you're watching or listening to this podcast, you more than likely are. So <laughs> hashtags is something that is helping algorithms or these electronic engines really be able to attach the right content with the right people. If you can remember that, then you can get your hashtag game right. YouTube has been already doing what's called quote unquote tags, but now they're kind of rebranding this as hashtags and really finding a place for it now, whereas before they didn't for real. So Instagram, they have played around with should we show likes or should we not? Facebook is now playing around with hashtags and how do we connect these together? And I think YouTube has kind of found that sweet spot to say, you know what, we don't just want it to be what people are searching for, but we want it to be almost like a second search engine, if you will, mm -hmm. or a drill down to that second search engine to say, if you're looking for this hashtag, here's actually a whole page of content that's going to you know, be specific to that. And you can click on the hashtags and now see a page or so they're saying with the beta rollout. So do you recommend then for those of us that are not adding hashtags to our videos to add them to the videos? Because if I recall, I think they show up right above, like when you're watching the video, don't they show up like right above the description of the video or something? I'm trying to remember where they show up. Should, should we add them? How many should we add? What are your thoughts? So that's actually describing two different things. And so, yes, that's still using a hashtag like hashtag shorts, and it kind of turns into a hyperlink, whereas if that's if you're putting it in the actual description box, then that's when that comes up above the description, above the title, and it's like a blue hyperlink and you can click on it. However, YouTube is now kind of marrying that system with their tag system. Tags is actually, it's still title tags to, at the time we were doing this content, but if you scroll down underneath your description when you're uploading or going to a previously recorded video, you'll see a tags box. And in there, you still, you're not putting hashtag per se, but you're putting the actual tags in the bottom. Those don't become hyperlinks at the top of the thing, but it helps the search engine and the algorithm really find the content for that. So it's very similar. Right, right. I'm familiar with that. But the fact that YouTube is putting hashtags in the search results now, right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. does mean that we should use hashtags. And I guess the question yes. is, how many should we use? What's your thoughts on best practices with that? I think three 
five is kind of pushing it, but three is healthy enough to give an interest around what the, the core theme or core point of that is. So if we're talking about YouTube analytics, we may say hashtag YouTube analytics. And here's the great thing about YouTube. You can go back and update those old videos so that they are now starting to come up and search around that content. I think that is important to go back and add. I sp- and I did a case study on this a little bit. I did not do a video that had description, titles, that any of the usual stuff or video I really want to come up and search and rank in YouTube. This was doing what's called Vlogmas, Vlog Every Day Until Christmas 2020. So I did that. One of the videos I talked about was Clubhouse. A little bit of a controversial video, especially as it is between iPhone and Android users, not going to touch on it. But I put in the description, hashtag Clubhouse. That's pretty much it. Nothing other than that. Now, Clubhouse is still fairly new, but that video, even though it has none of the traditional things when it comes to YouTube, still gets a lot of traction, way more than it honestly should, simply because of the hashtag. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, let's talk about recommended videos because there's also been some changes recently with how YouTube handles recommended videos. What's the change? What's new? So when it comes to recommended, honestly, I think YouTube is just really putting more interest to relate it as a way for people to find your content in a very simple way of explaining it. And you can let me know if you want to go deeper. But, you know, when we think about search, that's usually what most people's MO is. Let me make a video so that it comes up when you search for it. However, the normal social behavior of somebody is to not just watch one video, but watch another and watch another, as is YouTube's thing when it comes to audience retention. And they want you to stay on the platform. So related content now, they're giving you different categories when it comes to or different places, if you will, of where you can come up and relate it and suggest it. And that's starting to interrupt search. Yeah. And what I'm fascinated about is these topics that they've got now, right? I don't know if you've seen this yet, but especially on desktop, along the right side, you'll see the related videos and you'll see some topics. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. What's your thoughts on that? And how is that going to impact those of us that are marketers? So it's really tough right now to still call, make a call on this, but I think it, it, it helps with making sure that you're in that train of thought that somebody is. It makes you have to be more on point with knowing your girl or your guy or your ideal viewer, if you will. If they are watch this, will they watch that? And is it easily known simply off the thumbnail for them to see it? So the topics and them outlining certain things, I think is super valuable because they're helping them to really catalog what your interests are. And based on that person's watch patterns, if you will. As a marketer, That just further drills down into if you will watch this, you will watch that. And so we really need to be doing our jobs with paying attention to how this develops over time. I think it's going to be super important because I can foresee people not probably even going to their subscription tabs like that anymore as the place to see what's going on, but they're going specifically to their interest directly. That's my prediction. Do you think that these um, topics, as we're calling them, are gleaned from the tags or from the hashtags, or do you think it's just automatically added by the algorithm to these videos? I think they're using the algorithm to figure out people's interests and just trying to put a humanistic approach around that. I've listened to some data that Google themselves has put out um, in regards to what you know is going on here on the YouTube side of things. And really what they're trying to get to is making YouTube really about the you on the keyboard, the you that's searching. I think it's more so going to be specific to not really like hashtags or titles or anything like that, but like an interest, like mirrorless cameras, Sony mirrorless cameras, Nikon mirrorless cameras, or Facebook 
marketing with ads. Like, I think it's going to get very granular to the things that you want to make you really want to watch that content more. So a couple of months ago, YouTube did something a little controversial. They decided to change their uh, terms of service when it comes to monetization of videos. Can you kind of explain what the change was and how maybe let's just talk through kind of what this might mean for those of us that maybe aren't monetizing our channel yet? Yeah, for sure. So a couple of things happened with YouTube. They decided that if your video is eight minutes or longer, they're going to automatically monetize this. So you as a creator, once you get to 4,000 hours of watch time and 1,000 subscribers on the platform, you have the ability to become a part of the YouTube Partner Program and turn on ads that play before, during, or after your video, as well as other ways so you can monetize your content. This also opens up the door for Super Chats, doing live streams, and on and on. However, YouTube is now saying themselves, whether you turn this on or not, we're now going to run ads because this is good content that we could run ads for just because you don't want it doesn't mean that we're not going to do it. So <laughs> it kind of behooves you now to just go ahead and turn ads on because I think a couple of things are happening. Yeah, they also want to push more ads because, you know, it's an ad-based platform, but they also kind of want to push more people to YouTube Premium to kind of pay if you don't want to see ads uh, or what have you. But I think as a marketer creating content on YouTube specifically, I think it's important now, if your videos are hitting that eight minute point and I get the interruption and not knowing what may become before or whatever, I think it's important to go ahead and at least draw that that income back to your company versus just letting YouTube kind of pick that up as they usually would anyway. Yeah. And I think this is the important discussion, right? Which is like Social Media Examiner for years just did not have, you know, we didn't have any ads at all on our uh, videos because we weren't developing the channel to try to monetize it. You know, we were... Instead, developing it to just pretty much just create a new medium, a new channel and try to grow an audience and engage with them. But at a certain point, you know, when they said, hey, if you don't turn on monetization, we're going to put ads in front of your videos and we're going to keep all the money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at that point, I'm like, all right, well, I guess we'll turn it on. And we actually started making a decent amount of money, which helped cover some of our production costs, not all of them. Mm -hmm. So I guess at this point, people should turn on the ads. The good news is they can control what kind of ads they allow on the videos. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I love to honestly cover this this part of the conversation because it's about curating the experience for the viewer. In the YouTube Partner Program, when you get the AdSense or the ad revenue, you can go into your YouTube-specific uh, details. Um, not going to go through the whole process, but they have guides on it. And that way you can say, don't show any political ads, maybe during a political season. So you're curating the experience for the viewer. I do that all the time. And I'll say you're either for certain controversial companies, you know, it may be paying more, but it doesn't matter because it's like, I'm trying to curate an experience and I really don't want you to see something that's offensive to you. Even if that's dealing with animal cruelty or whatever, before you watch a video about cameras and YouTube content market, like it's like, no, that's <laughs> you're like, let's, you know, if anything, I'd rather you see a BNH photo video ad or something before you watch versus, you know, something that may be super offensive. So when you turn ads on, go ahead and curate that experience for the viewer. And I think that's super important to do because it's better than having YouTube just pick random stuff that I like I've gotten emails before about like, hey, this one slipped through. It was super offensive. And I'm not used to that on, when I'm watching your stuff. So they kind of tie it back to you and, and your channel. Yeah. And why don't you tell everybody that you don't have to turn on all the ad units also, right? Because there's mm -hmm. different kinds of ads that you can have. And if you just tell them you want a certain kind of an ad, 
I mean, where, where the ad appears, right? Cause we don't want ads appearing right in the middle of our videos, but if you don't turn that off, it might happen. Right. Yes. And that's the thing. You can, the ad types that you have, where the ads are placed, you can place an ad at the beginning. So you can decide if it's skippable or is it non-skippable. And that person just has to suffer through for however long that is, whatever that is, before they can get to the video. They also have the ones that are called, you know, mid-roll ads. So three minutes, two minutes, whatever, you can place it. Some people suggest like placing it before something that's a great tip, but you're breaking that experience to make them potentially say, mm, you know what, I'm not even worried that, that worried about it. I was only watching it because I had nothing else to do. I'm bouncing. And so you also have at the end, and then you also have, if you have cards, information cards along the side, the little eye bubble at the top, they can click that and see ads there. And lastly, you have the little shelf of that could kind of come over the screen, kind of like a pop-up, old school pop-up ad. I don't recommend using all this stuff. Like, honestly, at best, the beginning and the end. If you do have on a mid-roll ad, then I would say be cautious of doing too many of those. Again, it breaks the experience, frustrates the viewer, and frustrates the viewing experience. And when they come to associate a, a negative association with your content and your channel because of that, and it's changeable, it just really makes people not want to come back. So in summary, for sure, turn on monetization for all of your videos, because at this point you got nothing to lose and you can always mm -hmm. go in and decide what kind of advertisers. Can you yep. block your competition from having ads on your videos? Do you know, can you say like this channel is not allowed to, to, mar to market in front of my channel or is, or is that not an option? So I'm not sure when it comes specifically to YouTube channels. I would imagine so that you have like a lot of control. From what I've seen, I don't do a ton of ad blocking uh, in that way because it's, you know, I just try to make sure it's, a, it's on brand or somewhere in that related space. But I'm pretty sure you can go through. I haven't went in the granular details or even had an experience where I wanted to block a channel. But I would imagine you can block certain things. That way you're not advertising your competitors over top your own content and defeating the purpose of before they even watch your content. So I would look for the company structure more so like than the channel per se, but you can, you have a lot of controls in that YouTube ad area. Diana, you're going to be doing a two hour live training on uh, YouTube at the mm -hmm. upcoming social media marketing workshops called, it's titled the proven formula to creating videos that people love scripts, tech, and beyond. Can you give us kind of a preview of what we might discover uh, during your training? Absolutely. So I think a lot of marketers and, and entrepreneurs that's getting into that content creation space, they really, really, really get frustrated when it comes to trying to figure out the, the nuts and the bolts of how do I make this work? How do I make it easy? And how do I simplify that process so that my team and I, or even if it's just you by yourself, can really execute that and make sure that your audience enjoys it as well and it's working for you. So in that session, um, that's a two-hour session. We're going to be breaking that down and going deep. So it's answering questions, doing live channel reviews, um, in addition to live topic research. So we're actually going to take your content for your business and we're going to be researching that. And so, you know, when it comes to like the scripts and creating something that people like, it's always going to start off with the pain point, the problem that they're having and how we're going to address that in the video content. So I'm really going to go on a granular level, really break that down so that you know the what to do, the when to do it, so that when you drop your video, you start getting comments that say, thank you so much. I've been waiting for a video like this, like all the other ones weren't as helpful as this one. Awesome. Diana, if people want to check you out on YouTube or anywhere else, do you have a place you want to send them? 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you obviously here on YouTube or you're listening to this and you want to check out the YouTube channel, you can honestly just go to youtube.com. It's forward slash Diana Gladney. It was Entree Woman TV, but it's just updated to just my name. So it'll be easier for you to find. And then you can go to dianagladney.com and that'll get you anywhere that you need on socials, which is still at Diana Gladney. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diana. And folks, don't forget to check out the social media marketing workshops. You can go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash WS21. And if you want to add a uh, podcast to your listening lineup, subscribe to the Social Media Marketing Podcast. Diana was also a guest on that. And Diana, thank you so much. Until next time, everyone, be wise with your marketing decisions. We really appreciate everybody for joining us today. Bye-bye. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show is a Social Media Examiner production. For more social media insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.